The words to which I should like to call your attention this morning are to be found in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians in the fourth chapter and the twenty-fourth verse. The twenty-fourth verse in the fourth chapter of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. And that he put on the new men, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. As I call attention to this once more, let me remind you of the, of the importance of taking it in connection with the previous statements that he put off concerning the former conversation, the old men which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that he put on the new men which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. This is the practical exhortation that the Apostle addresses to these Ephesian Christians, you remember. He has been reminding them of how they have learned Christ, and that if they really have learned him, if it isn't merely an appearance, if it isn't but a pretense, if it isn't just some emotional or psychological experience apart from truth, if they really have learned Christ and know the truth as it is in Jesus, well then, he says, there can be no question about it. You will put off that old man. And uh, as you are being renewed constantly in the spirit of your mind, you will put on the new men. But as we have seen, he not only tells us to do this, he gives us reasons why we should do so. He gives us again a reminder of the character, the nature of that old man. And then he describes in the glowing terms that we've been considering the last few Sunday mornings, the nature of this new man created after God in the image and likeness of God, in the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the new men, and that's the reason why we should put him on, created thus in righteousness and holiness of the truth. What men lost in the fall, this right righteousness and holiness is restored and more than restored in this new creation, this act of regeneration, this rebirth which takes place in the soul of all who are truly Christian. And the Apostle's argument is that because that has happened to you, put it on, he says. It's no use telling people to put on the new men if the new man isn't in them. It is because the new man was in them that he exhorted these Ephesians to put him on. And it is still the same. Well, now there we've been looking at some of the reasons why we should put on the new men. There remains just one further thing for us to do, and the most important one it is. It is this. How do we put on the new men? How do we put him on? Now, if we avoid this or evade it, we are in a very dangerous position. There is nothing, I suppose, that is finally so dangerous 
as to look at a great truth like this merely in a theoretical manner. Nothing can be more dangerous to the soul than to have a form of godliness but to deny the power thereof. Our Lord himself said, If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. And I say it can be really devastating as history proves abundantly for men to look at this exalted and glorious doctrine of the new men in a purely objective, academic and theoretical manner as a wonderful concept. No, no. The apostle here and in this whole section of this great epistle is concerned to be very, very practical. We shall find him going on to say something like this. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, and so on. Now, but we must, before we come to the actual details given to us by the apostle, we must look at this question of putting on the new men in this practical way in a more general manner than that. And that is what we have to do this morning. Now there are certain principles which we must bear in mind. And the first, of course, is this. This is something that you and I have to do ourselves. I indicated this as we were dealing with the practical part of putting off the old men. And it's equally essential that I should underline it and emphasize it this morning. This is a command. It's an exhortation. Put on the new men. He's addressing them. He is exhorting them to do this very thing. Let me make it plain, therefore, by putting it negatively. This is not something that you and I just pray about. The whole of the Christian life is a life of prayer. But this particular thing is something that you and I have to do. We don't pray that the new men may be put on us. We put on the new men ourselves. That's the first negative. But look, look at this one. This is uh, not something which suddenly happens to us as an experience. Now, there are many who confuse it in that way and think that this is uh, something that uh, takes place to us, that we suddenly have an experience, and as the result of that experience uh, that we find uh, that the new man is upon us, as it were. But again, that's a denial and a contradiction of what the apostle is saying. Now, the relationship between this and experience is a very important one, and I think it can be put very simply like this experiences, any spiritual experience that we may have, either in a service like this or when we're alone and reading the scripture or praying or whatever we're doing, any experience that we have assists us and helps us and urges us to put on the new men. But the experience is not the putting on of the new men. It will create a desire to do so. It will make, make it easier for us to do so. But the actual putting on of the new man is something that you and I obviously have to do. As we have to stop doing certain things and thereby put off the old men, so in exactly the same way we do certain things 
And as we do them, we are putting on the new men. Or uh, let me put it like this finally. This is something that is not done for us. It is, I say again, something that we have to do ourselves. Now, I'm emphasizing this once more because there is a familiar and a popular teaching which puts its whole emphasis upon the fact that the whole secret of this matter and the whole secret of Christian living is that we cease from our activities and that we just look to the Lord and that all we've got to do is to look to him and to abide in him and he will do it for us. The question, I'll put it in this form, the question for those who believe that is just this. How do you reconcile that teaching with this command, with this exhortation? Put on the new men. How can you reconcile that with these details that follow about lying and about stealing and about being angry and so on? Now, the apostle never teaches anywhere. Just pray to the Lord to take that out of your life. He says, stop doing it. You stop doing it. It is not something that is done for us. It is something that we have to do. Otherwise, as I pointed out, the whole of the practical sections of these New Testament epistles just become entirely meaningless and purposeless. Indeed, we can go further. On that theory, the apostle was saying something that should never be said. Well, but says someone, how can a man do all this? Uh, we are weak and we are frail and there are these great powers against us. Well, the answer is that this exhortation is addressed to people who've got new life in them. They are born again. The spirit dwells within them. The power is there. And what we are told to do is to exercise and to make use of the power. Let me quote to you again what is probably the key verse with regard to this whole matter. It's in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Now, says the apostle, I'm exhorting you, not as in my presence, but much more now that I am absent from you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For, because... It is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He is not just asking natural people to do this. Of course they couldn't. He is asking people in whom God is working mightily by his spirit to work it out. It's not you saying I haven't got the power. You have the power. And what you are exhorted to do is to realize that the power is in you. And that as you exercise yourself you'll discover the power is there. That is the mystery of God's way of sanctification. You don't wait to have the power. In the rebirth, the power is there. And as you exercise it, well, you'll find you've got it. And as you exercise it, you'll have more of it. It's exactly like our muscles. You'll never know your muscular power until you begin to use your muscles. And it is as you use them, you're often surprised at the strength and power you've got. And more, as you do that, well, you're working at more power. And so it goes on and on. You and I must not worry about the power. God gives us the power. What we are called upon to do and exhorted to do is to use it and to exercise it. Take again a, a similar statement in the 13th verse of the 8th chapter of the epistle to the Romans. But if ye 
through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body ye shall live. That's it, you through the spirit. The spirit provides the power and the spirit is in us. So that being the case, we are exhorted to put off the old men and to put on the new men. Very well, there is just the first question. But now let us really descend to the practical details. What then, says someone, have I got to do? Here it seems to me the best way is to put it in the form, first of all, of some general principles and then some detailed practical examples and illustrations. Now, these general principles are most important. It's no use going to the details unless we're right about the principles. This is the truth that always needs to be underlined. This is applicable not only in the realm of the spiritual life, it's obviously true in any profession or any work or any kind of business. The man who rushes to details without having certain general principles is a man who's going to go astray. If you're studying geometry, you start with your axioms. You can't do anything without them. It's the same, I say, in any kind of study, whether it be art or science. There are certain basic laws and principles. Get hold of them, then proceed to the practical details. Well, now we can do that here. So here is our first general principle. The putting on of the new men is something that must be done completely. It must always be done as a whole. And it must apply to the whole of our life. And it must apply to the whole of our life continuously. What I mean by all that is this, that we must never do this in compartments. We must put on the new men not only in certain parts of our lives, it must be in the whole of our life. We mustn't put on the new men only at certain times or when we're in certain company or when we're in certain places. No, no, that's to deny the whole principle. The new men must be put on as a whole and he must be put on everywhere and to cover the whole of the life. This is an illustration, you see, that the apostle uses this putting on the new men. And it's an illustration that can be misunderstood. What he really is saying is, you see, that the new men must be the reigning and the governing principle of the whole of our life. That we must realize now that because we've been born again, we've been moved from the world into the kingdom of God. And that therefore the whole of our life and all our conduct is going to be entirely different from that which we lived before. There is, I say, a sense in which uh, the Apostle's illustration can be misused. Put on, he says, the new men. And uh, as we've seen, it makes us think of putting on a cloak or putting on a gown or something. All right, it's a good illustration as long as we don't abuse it. And alas, we're all very prone, I fear, to misuse it. We misuse it like this. Perhaps it isn't as common today as it was in the Victorian era when people would, as it were, put on their religious cloak on Sundays. 
and go to a place of worship. And after they'd gone home Sunday night, they put it off again. And they lived as hard-headed businessmen of the world the rest of the week. And you'd never suspect that some of them were ever Christians. It doesn't mean that sort of thing. Or you sometimes see it like this. You see a group of people uh, talking together and uh, you look at them and you'd think, well, they're typical people of the world. Their whole demeanor, their whole deportment, their whole appearance and their mannerisms and everything. Well, they're, they're just, then suddenly they become serious as they give out a hymn or something. Now, that's not putting on the new men. That's hypocrisy. That's putting on a mask. That's the exact opposite of what the apostle means. You see, it isn't something that you put on now and again and you suddenly become serious. No, no, no. This is a governing principle in the center of a man's life that controls everything he does, wherever he is, whatever the company, it doesn't matter. Putting on the new men means that the new man is here at the center and he's directing everything and all my activities under every conceivable circumstance. How important it is that we should remember that principle. Let me put it in this way. In a sense, it should never be necessary for the Christian to pull himself up and to remind himself that he's a Christian. What the apostle is saying is this, put on the new men and then you'll always remember that you're a Christian. There's the line, you see, between this and hypocrisy, between Hamburg and Shem. There are people, of course, who are so much afraid of being humbugs as Christians and so much afraid of being hypocrites that they never put on the new men at all. And nobody knows that they're Christians. They just appear as men and women of the world. And that, of course, is equally foolish and equally bad. As long as we bear in our minds that the apostle is just using a picture and that what he is impressing upon us is Always, in everything and in all times and places, live as this new man that you are in Christ Jesus. Comprehensive. Then the next point that we come to is this. That the whole essence of this matter of putting on the new men is really the application of truth to ourselves. I'm never tired of saying this because I verily am of the opinion that it is the most important thing one can ever discover in the Christian life. The real secret of Christian living is to discover the art of talking to yourself. We've got to talk to ourselves. We've got to preach to ourselves. That is putting on the new men. It is to take truth and to apply it to ourselves and to keep on doing so and to repeat it and repeat it until we've really got it. You've got to regard yourself as your own congregation and you've got to learn to speak to yourself and preach to yourself and hammer at yourself until you've really convinced yourself. That is what is really meant by putting on the new men. In other words, this isn't something that you wait for. If you wait until uh, you feel like the new men, it'll probably never happen. You've got to remind yourself actively. There is no greater snare in the Christian life than just that idea that, 
Well, you say, it's no, no point in my doing anything now. I, I don't feel like the new men. I'll wait until I feel better, and then I'll do it. My dear sir, that is the way never to do it. You literally have got to take hold of yourself in this matter. Putting on the new men means taking hold of yourself and dealing drastically with yourself in putting off the old and here now in putting on the new. Well, what does it mean? Well, let me put it again like this. Coming right down to details. You've just got to go on telling yourself that you're the new men. The apostle putting it in his epistle to the Romans in chapter 6 verse 11 says this. Reckon yourselves, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God. Reckon yourself. Say to yourself. Persuade yourself. Argue. Say to yourself. Announce it to yourself. Now I'm very fond of putting it in this form as you know. Put on the new men. Yes, the moment you wake up in the morning, say to yourself, I am the new men in Christ Jesus. I'm not the old men. I don't belong to the world. I belong to God. I belong to Christ. doesn't matter what you feel like when you wake up in the morning. Say that to yourself because it's the truth about you. That's what he means by putting on the new men. You've got to do it. It's something active. Don't wait until you move to do so. Move yourself to do so, says the apostle. Put him on. Now then, you see the analogy. In the physical sense, you may not feel like getting up in the morning, but you get up. You may not feel like dressing, you prefer to lie in bed, but you get up and put your clothes on. Do the same here, says the apostle. The devil will be there governing your feelings, and he'll suggest his thoughts the moment you wake up, and his insinuations and innuendos and... Evil thoughts may come, a thousand and one things. You stand up and say, no, I'm a new man in Christ, and I'm not going to live my day like that. I'm going to live as the man I am. That's putting on the new man. You say to yourself whatever you feel like because you know it's true. Now then, let me take that principle also and apply it in my next and my third general point. Use everything that you know of that reminds you of the new men and that feeds the new men and that helps to build up the new men. You see, all this is the exact opposite of putting off the old men. In putting off the old men, you remember we made this point. We said the apostle tells us, make no provision for the flesh. Don't feed him. If you know that reading certain literature gets you down, stop reading it. Starve the old man. Strangle him. Be violent with him. Mortify, says the apostle. And mortify means mortify. You hit him, you pummel him, you strangle him, you throttle him. Get rid of him. Mortify him. Don't feed him. Do the exact opposite. Starve him. But here you see the new men put him on. Oh, feed him. Give him the sustenance that's likely to help him and to make him grow. And do this diligently and constantly. How do you do that? What are these things? Well, here obviously is the first. You read your Bible. If the essence of putting on the new men is the application of truth to yourself, what can be better than to familiarize yourself with the truth? 
Now, remember the principle I've just been laying down. Read your Bible, I say. Read the Scriptures. Oh, but you say, I don't always feel like reading your Scriptures. I know you don't. Make yourself read the Scriptures. This isn't a question of feeling. This is something that is essential to your life and well-being and health. Therefore, do it. And I say, rouse yourself to do it. It can be done. It's got to be done. We can shake ourselves physically. And we can shake ourselves spiritually. Stir up the gift that is in thee, says Paul to Timothy. That's exactly what I'm saying. And so, you see, you may say, oh, but I don't feel like it. Well, now then, there are many things you can do about that. Sometimes it's quite a good thing to prepare yourself for the reading of the Scripture by reading something about the Scripture, by reading some exposition, if you like, or by reading a portion of a biography, or some statement of experience. You know how the old people in the days when they had pumps to get their waters, sometimes you'd have a pump that if you just tried to pump it, nothing happened. Well, the thing to do then was you took a little can and got some water from somewhere and poured it into the pump, and then you began pumping and out came the water. That's a great principle in the spiritual life. You've got to prime the pump. It has to be done very often. You've got to know yourself. You've got to understand yourself. You must learn how to handle yourself. And there are many things which one thus has to do with oneself in order to bring oneself into the right state and attitude and condition. What is so fatal is just to sit down and wait until you feel like it. I say you'll never do it. Rouse yourself. Stimulate yourself. And then when you come to the scriptures, well, we mustn't read them just mechanically and say, now my scripture portion for today is so-and-so. Ah, I've done it. Off I go. You might as well not have done it. That, there's no value in that. When you do come to do it, well, see that your mind is on it. See that you're concentrating. Read intelligently. Look for truth. Merely to read through the Bible once a year, well, it's a good thing, but it can be a useless thing spiritually. We've got to learn to read with a spiritual mind and understanding. Ask questions. Say, what's that saying? What's it saying to me? What's the point there? Who is he saying that to? What kind of person is he addressing? And it becomes not only interesting, it becomes absorbing. And as you're doing it, you're feeding the new man and thereby putting him on. So we rouse ourselves in various ways to read the Scriptures. And then, of course, prayer... We should never attempt to read our scriptures without praying God to bless it and to enlighten us by the Spirit. Oh, what a difference it makes. And to pray about the whole of the life. We are God's children. Well, go to him as your father. Tell him about your difficulties and your weaknesses. Ask him to give you wisdom and understanding. The more you pray, the more you thank God for what he's done to you in Christ and by the Spirit, the more you're putting on the new men and the more his life will be manifest in your activities. So prayer, obviously, solitary, isolated, lonely prayer, prayer with others, these are the ways of putting on the new men and then fellowship with like-minded people. The saints have always found it most strengthening to meet together to talk together about these things, to pray together. Iron sharpeneth iron. Of course. Like attracts like, of course. 
Birds of a feather flock together inevitably. The nature is there and it talks to the other and it recognizes it. And as you see it in another, you are strengthened. That's the value of a church. And that's why your radio and your television and all the rest of them put together will never be a substitute for the church. Impossible. They can't. It's where two or three are gathered together. And not only is he there, but we recognize one another. And that stimulates the life of each. So the church is essential, and that's why the author of the epistle to the Hebrews says, Neglect not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. They were the people who went astray. No, no, you can't do it by reading a book only, though it's a good book, or by listening, I say. No, there is something that when the saints come together and the Spirit is present, then God acts. He works still through the church. The church is his own creation. Very well, there are certain obvious general principles. They will cover all the details and all the particularities of our actions. But at the same time, let me give you some of the truths about which we have to remind ourselves in particular. Put on the new men. Very well. What do I remind myself of? Well, the first is this that I really have no choice at all in this matter of putting off the old men and putting on the new men? Why? Well, because I am not mine own. There's no need to argue about these things, says Paul. Flee fornication. Why? Because you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. The Christian is not a free man. The Christian is the bond slave Of Jesus Christ. That is why I always feel it's very wrong to appeal to people to do these things. We need to be exhorted, not appealed to. I don't like that preaching of sanctification which says, Now do this and you'll be marvelously happy and you'll have victory and so on. That's the wrong way to put it. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You have no right to do anything else. You're a rebel if you attempt it. We have been bought and purchased by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He gave himself and all that that involved that you and I might be new men. Remind yourself of that. Remind yourself of that first thing in the morning. Remind yourself of that constantly throughout the day. Ye are not your own. Ye have been bought with a price. And that in turn leads to this, doesn't it? The privilege and the dignity of our position. Created, he says, after God in this righteousness and holiness of the truth. You know, if you and I only remembered who we are and the dignity of our calling and our position, there'd be very little problem left in our lives. But we've got to remind ourselves of this. You've got to tell yourself, as I say, who you are and what you are. Listen to Paul putting it to the Thessalonians. He says, you are not children of the night. You are children of the day. 
You are children of light. Walk therefore, he says, as the children of light. Did you notice how he put it there in writing to the Romans? The night is far spent. We finished with all that. It's no longer chambering and wantonness. That mighty word that came to Augustine, you remember, and was the word of life and of God and of regeneration to him. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us not any longer, therefore, walk in that way, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. We are the children of God, the children of light, the children of the day. And what we mean by putting on the new men is that we remind ourselves of that and remembering that we walk as such and our whole demeanor and deportment, our very stance, our entire attitude is the complete antithesis of those who belong to the night and the darkness and who hide behind doors and were ashamed of the light and the sunshine. Children of the heavenly king, as he journey sweetly sing, only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Jesus Christ, says Paul in Philippians 1.27. Well, there it is. Let's remember that. And then that in turn leads us to remember this. Let us ever remind ourselves of the family that we belong to and the family that we therefore represent. We are indeed the children of God. Beloved, says John, now are we the sons of God. Now already. And this is such a startling and staggering conception of the Christian life that a man who once realizes it finds himself inevitably putting on the new men. We are now the children of God. That's the whole trouble with the Christian church today. She doesn't realize that. The church is regarded as just another institution and our assemblies are so like political gatherings. We are the children of God. And we're all together different from the world. This is the thing that we need to recapture. And that it is our privilege to represent the family in this world of time. We are strangers and pilgrims in this world. As Christians, we really no longer belong to it. We are still in it. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we are visitors. We are strangers, we are here for a while, and we must live as such. We don't conform to that, we belong to that. And the whole glory and dignity of the family depends upon us and is in so many senses in our hands. And that, you see, in turn leads to this. That we put on this new man and he governs the whole of our activity because, well, being strangers in a strange land, we are being observed and people are looking at us. And they say, who are these people? Well, they say they are Christians. Oh, they say this is Christianity, is it? And they're going to judge Christianity and they're going to judge God and they're going to judge the whole of the gospel by what they see in us. 
Of course, they're quite wrong in doing so, but they do so, and you've got to take people as they are, and you can't blame them for doing it. You and I, therefore, should remember that putting on the new men means being always conscious of that. Listen to Peter saying this. Dearly beloved, he says, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, whereas that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Now there it is in a nutshell. You are strangers and pilgrims, says Peter. You don't belong here. Well, now these Gentiles are watching you and are looking at you. They're speaking against you. They say you're mad. They say you're fools. They say you're hypocrites. They are saying things like that. But, says Peter, so live as to convince them and to silence them and to bring them into such a position that they shall praise and glorify God in the day of visitation. Turn that up. 1 Peter 2 verses 11 and 12. But indeed it is everywhere running right through the whole of the scripture. Now putting on the new man just means that. And if we really do believe these things and that Christ has died to make us such and to make these things possible for us, I say it needs no pressing. We are very sense of honor shall be involved and we shall feel that we are cads if in any way we let him down or misrepresent his wondrous grace and love with respect to us. And that brings me to my last point, which is my, my point, which is this. Our destiny, all these things you see follow in a logical sequence. Is there anything which is more powerful as an argument than this? Having reminded yourself that you are but a stranger in this world, well then go on to remind yourself of where you are going and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. We are moving on. Every day takes us nearer. Nearer what? Well, it's coming. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. What day? Well, the day of Christ. The day of the Lord. The day of his coming back. The day of the last judgment. The day when all men will have to appear before him. The final end of history. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Or listen to John putting it in his way. He that hath this hope in him, what is it? Well, he says, it's this. We know not yet what we shall be, but we do know this, that we shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. Our very bodies glorified, we shall be perfect and spotless, without any vestige of sin remaining. We shall be like him. That's what we are going to. Now if we really believe the gospel, if we have truly learned Christ, we've learned that, that all he's done is to prepare us for that day. Well, I say, if we believe that, we must rouse ourselves, put on the new man. The night is far spent. The day is at end. Let us no longer sleep. 
Let us prepare for the crowning day that is coming, for the beatific vision, for our final glorification, for our entry into the eternal state, for the joy and the bliss and the glory of sharing the life of God throughout eternity. That's putting on the new man, reminding yourself of this truth. And then finally remember this. And I believe this is the climax, the mightiest argument of all. If we are Christians, it means this, as the Apostle has already told us in his third chapter. Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. Or listen again, know ye not that your bodies, your very bodies, are the temple of the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. What is to put on the new men? It is to remind yourself that Christ is dwelling in your heart by faith. That the Holy Spirit of God that dwelt in him dwells in us. If only every Christian in the world this morning lived in this world as remembering that the Holy Spirit dwells within him or her, what a revolution it would create. The whole church would be transformed. People wouldn't recognize themselves. And the world would look on astonished and amazed. That's what it means to put on the new men. To realize that he's in you. And that anything unworthy or sinful grieves the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Let us therefore start our day by reminding ourselves of these things. I'm a child of God. I'm born again. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. Christ is dwelling in my heart by faith. Wherever I go, whatever I do, the Holy Spirit is in me and in my very body so that my every action is known to him, the Holy Spirit. And as you live your day remembering that, it will obviously change everything. And that is to put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Amen. We do hope that you've been helped by the preaching of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. All of the sermons contained within the MLJ Trust Audio Library are now available for free download. You may share the sermons or broadcast them. However, because of international copyright, please be advised that we are asking first that these sermons never be offered for sale by a third party. And second, that these sermons will not be edited in any way for length or to use as audio clips. You can find our contact information on our website at mljtrust.org. That's mljtrust.org.
www.ghostbusters.org.